Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. No, not Jesse Allen, but Mike Adams sitting in for Jesse. Jesse getting some uh, well-deserved time off here at the end of the year. He'll be back with you next week. And hope you're having a great holiday season. Hope you had a great Christmas, and here we are ready to wrap up the year and head into 2024. And a busy show here today, midweek, as we get ready for the new year. We're going to talk about renewable fuels, especially biodiesel. We're going to talk with the CEO of the Clean Fuels Alliance America, Donnell Rehagen, will join us. We're going to talk primarily about sustainable aviation fuel, a lot of potential there. We'll get the very latest on that. And we're going to talk uh, the cattle markets with Dr. Daryl Peel from Oklahoma State. And we're going to talk about that latest cattle on feed report that came out uh, a few days ago with the, those feed numbers up 3%. We'll talk about what that means moving forward with the cattle herd. We're also going to be talking with the president of the American Soybean Association. Looking ahead to the new year, what are the priorities for AOA as they get ready for some uh, big challenges and opportunities in the new year for soybean growers? So all that coming up on today's program. Good to be back with you, and again, hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. Be careful. For some in different parts of the country, dealing with some winter weather, and we're going to talk about that now with our first guest on today's program, DTN meteorologist Teresa Wells. Teresa, thanks for joining us here on AOA. Hey, thanks for having me on. I mentioned some winter weather, Nebraska, the Dakotas, among those states uh, getting uh, some uh, winter weather here at the end of the year. What's the latest? Yeah, so we had that strong low-pressure system that moved into the central U.S. this past weekend. And through Christmas Day, it did dump a pretty decent amount of snowfall across portions of South Dakota and Nebraska, and even some ice there in uh, southeast North Dakota and eastern South Dakota as well. Um, in terms of snowfall amounts with the system, we actually saw up to 6 to 12 inches of snow across central South Dakota and central Nebraska with this system. We even saw some reports up to a half inch to an inch of ice in southeast North Dakota. Hmm. Moisture appreciated, but uh, that's not always the the way we like to get it, but uh, that's the challenge of this time of year. Now, how widespread is this? Is this going to move then across uh, the central part of the country? Yeah, so actually right now, thankfully, this system is actually weakening. So we are still seeing a few scattered showers, uh, especially some snow showers there across Nebraska, parts of Kansas. And then we are also seeing some stuff um, develop across the central Mississippi Valley. And this, this activity will eventually slowly work its way east today. And a lot of this precipitation will... Uh, start to weaken here as we go through later this week. And then uh, a bulk of the rainfall will actually be falling across the eastern U.S., though, as we have that cold front from the system uh, dragging along the eastern seaboard there. So they'll see a lot more of the heavier rainfall out there out east. I'm located in Illinois. We've had some uh, unseasonably mild temperatures starting to cool off now. Uh, but right through Christmas, a very, very warm for this time of year, but some much-needed precipitation as well. Is that going to continue here for the next few days? 
Yeah, so we're going to see those periods of rain showers occur across, especially the eastern Midwest, over the next coming days. But we are still seeing, you know, those above normal temperatures. You know, we've seen that for much of December across, you know, the north central U.S. especially. Um, even over the holiday weekend here, we saw temperatures rise 20 to 30 degrees above normal. So uh, exceptionally mild there. Uh, we're going to see those above normal temperatures continue here, especially into the new year, um, as we're still seeing a very uh, prominent signal there for above normal temperatures in the north central U.S. As I mentioned, uh, the the precipitation, the moisture is, is much appreciated and, and much needed as we have a lot of dry areas, don't we? Oh, yeah, for sure. We're still watching some areas of severe drought across uh, portions of the Delta. And even as you go into the southern Delta, Louisiana, Mississippi, there, there are definitely seeing pockets of extreme and exceptional drought down there. And we are still battling those low Mississippi River levels there in those areas as well. So hopefully they can start to see more rain as soon as uh, early next week. Yeah, stories to watch into the new year for sure, those moisture uh, conditions and water levels on on the rivers. Well, let's also look at the conditions now in South America. We always keep a close watch there. What's the latest weather picture for South America? Yeah, so we've been watching a few different things in South America here this week. Um, mainly is when we look at central Brazil there, they've seen some isolated showers here. Um, through the first half of this week, but they really haven't been widespread, and and they are in the midst of their wet season right now. And with these kind of isolated showers, um, you know, some areas have stayed dry, and they've also had some pretty warm temperatures, especially in the afternoons. They've been reaching 90 to 95 degrees Fahrenheit there in the afternoons, especially where they don't see those showers developed. So it's been warm, uh, not quite seeing the precipitation levels that they normally see. However, we're going to see that signal kind of split for us here as we go into this weekend, early next week. We are seeing a signal for above normal precipitation in central Brazil there. We're going to see more widespread rain showers as well. So that should certainly help their uh, developing soybean crop down there. And then so, uh, if we go farther south, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, a critical time right here, and you say these next few days uh, uh, when they might get some precipitation then. Yeah, yep, we're definitely looking here as we go into Friday and into the weekend. You'll see those better chances for some scattered showers across central Brazil. And other key areas? Yeah, and then we are also watching uh, southern Brazil, central Argentina as well. They've been, you know, relatively favorable conditions there um, over the past week or so. We'll continue to see some isolated scattered rain showers develop here later today in central Argentina. Those showers will push northeast into southern Brazil by Friday. We could see some areas of heavy rain develop in southern Brazil by Friday. Uh, could see some localized amounts up to one to two inches there. However, I, I don't think this is going to be very you know, widespread and very impactful as they should dry out after this. All right, so we are on moisture watch for both the U.S. and South America. Teresa, thank you for being with us. 
Yes, thanks for having me on. All right, have a happy new year. Teresa Wells, DTN meteorologist. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk with Donnell Rehagen. He is the CEO of Clean Fuels Alliance America. Lots going on with uh, sustainable aviation fuel. We'll get the very latest on that, along with the tax credit guidance as well. And they've had a big uh, tour in the Big Apple looking at the use of clean fuels in the New York City area. Always a key market for biodiesel up in that northeast corridor. We're going to get an update from uh, Donnell Rehagen on that. So it's a busy, uh, busy program here midweek as we're wrapping up 2023. Mike Adams sitting in for Jesse Allen, who will be back with you next week. Stay with us. Much more to come today here on AOA. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Charlie Carter, Product Quality and Additives Manager for CHS Refined Fuels Commercial Supply, about how the right fuel will keep equipment running in the winter. Charlie, what happens to diesel fuel in equipment when temperatures drop, and why does that matter? Standard number two diesel fuel generally does not fare well in cold temperatures. Diesel fuel can form crystals and clog filters and fuel lines, and prolonged freezing temps can cause engines to not operate properly. That can basically lead to that dreaded downtime that we all hate. So uh, it's really important to take precautions to prevent these issues from occurring, especially in cold weather conditions. Charlie, when should farmers switch their diesel blends? Yeah, so every situation is going to be slightly different and somewhat temperature dependent. So it's important that you work with a knowledgeable fuel supplier who has a grasp on the diesel characteristics in their geography. With that being said, you should be blending your tanks to a winter blend when temperatures are right around the freezing point or 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It's important to blend early and when the fuel is at least 10 degrees above the cloud point of the fuel or it won't mix well together. When you're thinking about cost and performance, what's the best way to determine the best winter fuel blend? So you will need to decide really what's best for your individual operation and what temperature you expect to be able to operate your equipment in. So if your operation relies on your equipment needing to be up in those harshest climates, you're undoubtedly going to need to invest in a diesel blend that's going to meet those needs. You're going to run the risk of being stranded on the side of the road, unable to perform your critical tasks. So it's best to discuss the specific needs with your fuel supplier as they're going to be able to deliver the high quality Senex fuels at the correct blends for optimal performance and peace of mind. Well, thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. A promise is potent, born of intention, fueled by commitment. It's seeing things through, always showing up. And we know a thing or two about promises here at Susan G. Komen. Over 40 years ago, we locked arms with you toward one vision, a world without breast cancer. By investing in life-saving research and standing up for patient rights, we are shifting the system so all people everywhere get the care they deserve. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to raise money to honor the best friend you've just lost, we have a place for you here because of you. We're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Ending breast cancer needs all of us. 
Visit Komen.org and be a part of the Susan G. Komen community today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. All right, Mike Adams sitting in for Jesse Allen, who's out the rest of the week. Some well-deserved time off. Recharge those batteries, visit some family, and gets ready for a big 2024. It's it's guest host season. That'll happen a lot on radio and TV shows across the country. Good to have with me now a friend that... Um, Look forward to talking with getting caught up on the news. Donnell Rehagen, who is CEO of the Clean Fuels Alliance America. Donnell, how are you? Well, Mike, I'm doing great. I hope you're doing great as well. Very much so. And uh, just like old times, getting together and talking about uh, uh, renewable fuels. And I've been watching, uh, even in retirement, I keep track of renewable fuels pretty closely. I've been watching what's going on and so much of the buzz around sustainable aviation fuel and the potential that is there. What's the latest uh, that you can give us as far as where we're at uh, moving into the new year? Well, we're really excited. 2023 has been a great year, so we sort of hate to see it go. But 2024 certainly looks like it's going to be a, a bang-up year as well. You mentioned sustainable aviation fuel. It's obviously kind of the talk of the town, I'll say, in our industry right now. And there's a lot of work to be done in uh, for, for that fuel to really become you know, commercially available in a wide scale. And so there's interest in seeing that done, so we're excited to be a part of that, and we represent the sustainable aviation fuel industry as well. But biodiesel, renewable diesel will continue to be the, the big pull uh, for 2024, and uh, the markets are demanding more. Is the government, is the federal government on board fully with uh, sustainable aviation fuel? Well, Mike, they are. You know, uh, Secretary Vilsack, in fact, has a grand SAF challenge, you know, to try to bring 3 billion gallons of SAF to the marketplace by 2030. Um, this last year, I would say there was a, maybe a few hundred thousand gallons So, uh, at, at the most. And so there's a lot of work to be done, and so there's uh, a lot of interest uh, at the government level to see this materialize. Are the airlines on board with it? They absolutely are. Um, there's, you see notices all the time, releases of them entering into arrangements and deals with suppliers or potential suppliers of sustainable aviation fuel. And so I think their customers are like the customers, all, you know, all in many other transportation facets. They want to feel better about their transportation, want to feel like they're doing something better for the environment and protecting the climate and so on. And so sustainable aviation fuel is, is uh, the only option for airlines. I know, Donnell, the renewable fuels industry has always said, give us the markets. We'll produce enough product for the markets. How confident are you that you can meet the demand if this, if this goes wide open and, and, and you have full access to this market? Well, you know, the, uh, the domestic aviation industry uses about 24 billion gallons a year of jet fuel. Um, you are certainly not a 24 billion gallon industry here in the United States, and there's not any, you know, there's not a, a vision to see that happen in the near term. So I think there's going to be a time down the road between sustainable aviation fuel, uh, on-road uh, demands, and then also we've got huge emerging markets in rail and marine um, that they're all going to be competing for this pool of uh, renewable fuels. And again, what a, what a 
situation, a dream scenario to have a market <laughs> out there just asking for product, right? And kind of what your industry has always been wanting and said, yeah, we'll, we'll keep amping up. We'll keep producing. Certainly like a Christmas day for a little kid, right? We're very excited about this opportunity and maybe one we didn't see coming 20 years ago to think that there would be, you know, demand that might exceed our ability to produce those fuels. But, you know, Clean Fuels, National Biodiesel Board, we've been hard at it uh, trying to increase market demand. And I mentioned rail and marine earlier. Those are two industries that, quite frankly, three, four, five years ago, they wanted to have really nothing to do with us. And so things are changing. Uh, things are changing socially, of course. And, again, this demand for cleaner transportation, um, greenhouse gas reductions, corporate policy, you know, are having an impact on how goods and people now are being moved around. And uh, we're, we've got that solution. We, we love our tagline, better, cleaner now. So we offer a solution to those seeking to decarbonize. We can help you start decarbonizing today. It is exciting. I can remember all the years uh, covering your industry and, and, and the struggles and the, uh, the work that you were doing to try to build these markets and, and, and trying to get your foot in the door on markets like this and to see that door opening and uh, finally being in a position to move through. It is exciting. Well, it sure is. You know, we've, we've been at it a long time, as you mentioned. We still have folks in our industry who were there at the very beginning. They still, still tell these stories of selling biodiesel in five-gallon buckets. So that's where our industry started, trying to find folks who, who would take a chance, try something new, try something innovative. And now we find ourselves in the position of having major industries that um, are knocking on our door and beating our doors down to try to have us help them find more of these fuels for them to use on a daily basis. Yeah, I remember those early days. So uh, it is exciting to see what's happening now. We're talking with Donnell Rehagen, CEO of Clean Fuels Alliance America. Donnell, I know that that Northeast Corridor has always been a a big market for bioheat. You've done a lot with the providing fuels for heating homes in in that area of the the country. What's the latest on that, and what's the potential in in that market for, for growth there? Well, uh, we believe there's still a lot of uh, potential for growth there. That mark, nothing's changed in that market. There's still a huge push in the Northeast, as there is everywhere else, to have cleaner fuels and cleaner energy. And so the, the liquid uh, heating oil industry is competing with electric heat pumps. Um, and so if they don't figure out how to offer a cleaner product to their customers, many of their customers, you know, will just shift over to uh, an electric heat pump and that, that opportunity will be gone. So that industry has really been embracing biodiesel and, and those blend levels have been going up. We, we see uh, some customers up there being offered blends up to B50, 50% biodiesel, um, and, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And so really the biggest challenge we have as an industry is the logistics of getting our domestically produced fuels into a very, uh, very busy corridor up there. Uh, typically our fuels move by rail in big bulk and rail is not an easy thing to handle up in the, uh, in the congested northeast and so those are those are projects that are still ongoing between our fuel dealers and the fuel distributors up in the northeast to try to make sure we push enough fuel up there for their uh, bioheat blends what about the this administration's uh, push for regulations on appliances such as gas stoves and now we're even here about furnaces things like that how will that impact your industry if this continue if the administration continues in this direction 
Well, the the real push is, you know, the uh, I would I guess I would call it maybe the love affair is with electricity, and so I mentioned heat pumps, and so um, if the state or the federal government puts a mandate in place for you know uh, pushing electric heat pumps, that's taking options away from from consumers, and so we don't think that's a good idea. Obviously, we uh, we in America enjoy the opportunity to have choices uh, in our homes, particularly, and so. Um, yeah, but if that's where the government wants to go, I guess, as they say, that's where things may go. And so that's why we must be able to offer cleaner alternatives than what was being offered, you know, a decade ago or, or two decades ago. And that's where bioheat becomes really important in the home heating sector. Still plenty of challenges, but right now as we're wrapping up 2023 and you look ahead to 2024, obviously the sustainable aviation fuel industry that we just talked about is a is a big uh, positive going into the new year. What is your overall outlook for 2024? And I know you've got your, your conference coming up in February, always a great conference that you have. Uh, so what will you be talking about as far as looking ahead to the new year? Well, you know, the new year, again, is about new and emerging markets. And we've, you and I have already talked about the major ones, sustainable aviation, fuel, rail, and marine. You know, bioheat's been an existing market, on-road, off-road in the form of agriculture, construction equipment. Those have always been there, but we're really seeing a huge push. And these are markets that demand a massive amounts of fuel when you think about rail, marine, um, and then sustainable aviation fuel. So that's going to be really the theme of our conference that is coming up. Uh, February 5th to the 8th in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, and we'll be talking with uh, leaders from indus- from companies within those industries like uh, American Airlines, Southwest Airlines, um, folks from Optimus Technology, Pepsi and Frito-Lay are big, huge users in converting to using more biodiesel or renewable diesel in their fleet. So we're going to be talking about those emerging opportunities and uh, kicking off of 2024, hopefully with a big bang in Fort Worth, Texas. You know, at least with the aviation industry, probably no talk about going to batteries anytime soon for those uh, planes, right? No, and I don't think we'll see solar panels on the wings either, you know, <laughs> and that's that's why I think there is this push for sustainable aviation fuel. For sure, that industry is really limited. Um, if they want to have cleaner energy, cleaner fuel, they're going to have to get it in the form of liquid fuel, and that's why we're extremely well-placed to answer their call. Donnell, good to talk with you again. Have a great uh, new year. Sounds like a lot of things happening for your industry. Glad to hear it. Have a good conference in February. Take care. Thank you, Mike. Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the Clean Fuels Alliance America. Up next, we'll talk cattle market with Dr. Daryl Peel from Oklahoma State. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. 
Call for closure protection services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this Market Update. Well, grains this morning are taking it right back what they made yesterday. Corn is down a penny or two. Beans are down five or six cents, while the wheat complex is down anywhere from eight to 13 cents. Winter wheat's leading the descent there. Wheat surged yesterday, supported by that recent 5% plunge in the U.S. dollar index. Now, the index is again lower this morning, reaching the lowest value since late July, and that is regarded as beneficial to U.S. wheat export prospects. Now, the rally yesterday was fueled by short funds jumping in to cover some of their combined net short in Chicago and Kansas City. Wheat estimated to be north of 90,000 contracts to begin the week. Pressure on wheat, though, is coming from the same factor that has prevailed all year, with Russia's aggressive marketing of a near-record large wheat crop capturing much of the world's wheat demand. The Russian wheat harvest is nearly complete, with close to 93 million metric tons harvested, compared to last year's 104.2 million metric ton crop. Russian FOB wheat prices are modestly higher this week in a range of 240 to 243 per metric ton, but that is still the most competitive. And aside from the China purchases of U.S. soft red winter wheat a few weeks ago, U.S. demand is remaining a bit lackluster. Now, there are a few wheat tenders around with Bangladesh contemplating offers for January wheat, while Pakistan's tender for 110,000 metric tons of million wheat saw zero offers based on stringent terms. Soybeans in corn are also off starting today. Pressure is coming from the prospect for rain in Brazil to become more widespread into the weekend and the leaking bean oil market for soybeans. March soybean oil appears headed for a fifth straight lower close and has reached the lowest price level since early June. In Brazil, help is on the way with rain moving across most areas of Brazil starting on Thursday and the 6-10 to day portion of the weather models are remaining wet. The dollar is again lower this morning, while crude oil prices are about a half a dollar off, and the Dow is about 50 points up currently. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. As veterans, we're no strangers to helping others. It's what we were taught, trained, and told to do. It could be for anything. Helping a friend move. Listening to a fellow veteran for hours, at any hour of the day. Or just simply making time for people a neighbor, a loved one, or even a stranger. We're often the first to help others. There's no question about it. But we do have one question for the veterans listening. When is the last time you reached out for help? Perhaps it's time to do for yourself what you would do for others. If you or someone you know needs resources, whether it's for stress, finances, employment, or mental health, don't wait. Reach out. Find more information at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. All right, Mike Adams sitting in today for Jesse. He has the rest of the week off. He'll be back with you next week, kicking off a big 2024 for here on AOA. Congratulations to uh, Jesse and the great work he's doing here on AOA, and glad to see that the show is doing well. And good to sit back in with you for a few days. Hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. And we get ready for the new year. As we wrap up this year, though, we're, we're looking at those latest cattle on feed uh, numbers that came out a few days ago. 
Joining us now is Dr. Daryl Peel, Oklahoma State University uh, Ag Economics Professor. Dr. Peel, good to talk with you again. How are you? I'm doing good. Great to be with you this morning. All right. So the cattle on feed report came out. Feed numbers up 3%. Your thoughts on that? Were you surprised? Well, no. I don't think this report was a big surprise. Um, you know, we're, we, we built it back up a little above year-go levels a couple months ago. Uh, we're working our way back down now, in my opinion. The placement number came in a little bit bigger, kind of on the top end of expectations. So it wasn't really a big surprise to everyone, but a little bit higher than the average trade guess. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the reality is that uh, there aren't more cattle out there. It's just that we've changed the timing with these placements. So as we go forward, we're going to continue to see these numbers tighten up. Yeah, let's talk about that. What, what's your biggest takeaway from this report as we go into 2024? Well, I think in the short run, the market, uh, you know, reacts to the, that placement number in terms of kind of the way we have changed the timing. So we, we've sort of front-loaded uh, the first part of the first quarter or so of, of 2024 uh, with these bigger placements. It really started with the surprise big placements in September. We had bigger placements in October. These, these latest November placements weren't bigger than a year ago. Uh, but a little bigger than expected. So all of that means that we pull cattle forward. And so we're going to have a little bit more cattle coming out of the feedlot. That doesn't mean that they're going to be up. They're going to be down. They just won't be down quite as much as we go forward. So, yeah, that's that's the biggest uh, you know change. It's just a matter of timing. Yeah, big picture. Where are we on, on in rebuilding the cattle herd? About where you thought we'd be on schedule or, or, or not quite where you thought we'd be? You know, if there was any surprise for me, I mean, my, my fundamental outlook hasn't changed really in about a year. We, we've sort of seen what was coming. The only thing that didn't happen this fall that I thought we might see was more indication that we were saving some heifers and beginning that process of retaining heifers and, and leading to eventual herd rebuilding. There's very little evidence that we have done much of that, although... Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I will say is I just drove back across northwest Oklahoma to the heart of our winter stocker country, and, and we do have a lot of stocker cattle out, and that includes a number of heifers. Uh, so those heifers that were marketed by cow calf producers this fall didn't go into the feedlot. In many cases, they're out in stockers, so they may still wind up uh, being part of some level of heifer retention as we get into the new year. We're talking with Dr. Darrell Peel from Oklahoma State University. Daryl, um, weather obviously has a big impact when you have drought conditions and uh, challenges for feed. Uh, that impacts uh, the cattle numbers uh, the, and what producers have to do, make some decisions they may not want to make. Uh, so we watch that weather closely here as we go into the new year. What are your thoughts on where we're at as far as conditions are concerned? Well, I think, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why we haven't seen a lot of indications of, of sort of uh, – aggressive uh, herd rebuilding or attempts uh, to begin the process of herd rebuilding. We do have a lot of drought around. We have folks that are either still having to make decisions uh, in response to drought or maybe they're not in drought so much right now, but they certainly haven't had time to recover, uh, are not in a position to restock. And then, you know, beyond the physical conditions, if you will, or the weather conditions, is the financial implications. A lot of producers have been through a lot of stress and higher feed costs and other things to get through the drought. And, and so they're really not uh, in a position financially uh, to get very aggressive with that herd rebuilding. I think those are all things that we have to watch going forward in 2024 to see how 
obviously the weather conditions will be really key to see whether or not the, uh, we have a position where we can rebuild, even if we want to, and then the question is how fast do we want to do it. Yeah, I think that gets overlooked sometimes, the domino effect, you know, the weather conditions, uh, the feed costs. I mean, all this is it ties together, and when that starts, that domino starts to fall, it has a chain reaction throughout the industry, doesn't it? It really does. And, you know, one of the things we, you know, a lot of comparisons, and certainly if you look at price charts, it looks a lot like what we went through about a decade ago uh, with the drought and then the, the subsequent price reactions we had in the market. And some of this looks like the, the first part of that again. But the difference this time, I think, is that we've had much more widespread drought conditions over the last two to three years. It's affected a lot more producers. And so I think the whole process of, of sort of changing the, the uh, ability to, to restock uh, is a little bit different. It's much more broad-based uh, level of impacts. And the financial implications, again, are such that I just don't think producers are really uh, actively uh, you know, being real aggressive yet. I think they will get more aggressive as we go through the year, but we're just not quite there yet. Do you see more market volatility? Oh, I think we continue to have market volatility. You know, obviously the, the supply side of this thing is, you know, we kind of see what it is. The longer we postpone herd rebuilding, the more we're going to drag this out with tighter supplies. Uh, and so we're going to stay in this, you know, elevated price level. I think, you know, from, from, from a cattle producer standpoint, that looks pretty positive. But obviously, then we've got concerns on the demand side, or at least potential concerns. We're watching demand, beef prices are high. Uh, so there is potential for some uh, limitations there. And what that means is that we're going to have some squeeze plays uh, up and down the system with margin operations, and and, uh, and that probably means that we're going to see more price volatility in this market going forward. Well, let's talk about demand and competition within that meat case. What do you see, how do you see that playing out here in this coming year? You know, in terms of uh, across the protein spectrum, I mean, beef demand has remained remarkably robust. Uh, we've been watching it, you know, since even prior to the pandemic, certainly through the pandemic and all the impacts there, and then Subsequent to that, uh, and beef demand has just remained remarkably robust uh, uh, in, in an absolute sense, and certainly relative to the other proteins. And so, um, you know, we don't we don't see any real problems there yet. But we again, you know, you look at uh, uh, the the fact that consumers are being squeezed. We've had a lot of inflation, which now seems to be cooling down a little bit. But nevertheless, beef prices are high. There's no there's no way around it. And so, uh, we continue to watch that and, and see. Uh, uh, how it goes going forward. Part of that demand picture is the is the trade side. Beef exports are off, and we expected to see that in in this situation. Uh, but that'll be a key going forward as well in terms of just how much impact we see on on uh, on both imports and exports as we go into the new year. Daryl, that's been quite a story, hasn't it? Through the pandemic and here coming out of the pandemic, uh, beef demand. I, m- I remember the old days when you know the economy would hit. A bumpy spot and consumers would feel that pinch you'd see a reflection in what they bought at the at the meat case and sometimes beef maybe took a hit there but through all this and even though the uh, government tries to tell us how great the economy is right now we know that consumers are feeling a pinch right now as far as uh, you know paying their bills and and buying food and things like that but yet through it all we you still see that strength in beef demand that you talked about. That's quite a story. 
It really is. In fact, I just got done uh, updating again the wholesale beef pipes, you know, for all of the cuts here. Beef is many different products. But when you look across that spectrum, particularly for the middle meats, the, the most expensive, the top-end products, uh, our steak cuts, basically, compared to the end meats, um, those prices have been, uh, at the wholesale level, remarkably strong, and that's been reflected in the retail prices that we have. We just continue to see an awful lot of a very robust uh, demand from consumers uh, for beef. And I, I think part of that uh, is, is really a testament to the fact that uh, the beef industry has responded over the past, uh, you know, many years here with significant improvements in quality. Our grading percentages are much higher now. And so we're just producing a better quality product, and I think consumers uh, are, are responding to that with this very sustained, uh, robust demand. Daryl, where are we as far as the, the packing industry, the overall meat industry coming out of the pandemic? Uh, where do you feel we're at right now? Well, again, you know, the situation we're in now with the herd liquidation that we've had, we, you know, beef production fell in 2023 from record levels in 2022. Now, that record level of production in 2022 was, was the result of liquidation and basically, you know, sort of eating inventory, if you will. Uh, as we were forced to liquidate animals. 2023, beef production starts to fall as expected. It will continue to fall in 2024. Um, but in terms of overall animal numbers, they will get tighter. Uh, so, you know, there's going to be both a price and a volume squeeze for uh, both feedlots and packers as we go through the year. Uh, there just aren't going to be as many animals. They're going to be more expensive. And, and again, all of those margin operations are going to deal with uh, kind of that squeeze play between uh, consumer uh, you know, limitations, if you will, on how much and how fast prices can go up relative to how fast and how much uh, cattle prices are coming up through the system from the bottom. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Also, what impact, if any, or how much are you seeing from the what we'll call the imitation meat products that are out there? You know, I don't really think that's having much of an impact at all on the market at this point. I wouldn't say that, uh, you know, that, was, that it never will or that we should completely ignore it. But really, you know, those... Uh, you know, whether it's the, the plant-based, uh, you know, protein product or the, the cell-cultured meat product, um, you know, I think those are all, uh, uh, you know, really struggling to find uh, a real place. It's tiny, tiny. It has really no impact on the industry. And again, you know, it's probably not going to go away, so it'll be around, but I don't think it's a major impact at all on the market at this point in time or for the foreseeable future. Daryl, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. You're very welcome. Anytime. Take care. Dr. Daryl Peel, Oklahoma State University Ag Economics Professor. All right, stay with us. Coming up next, we'll talk with the president of the American Soybean Association. What are their priorities for 2024? We'll find out next right here on AOA. Everyone has a community to lean on, a neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use. You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, Teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around. 
reinforcing your messages with your kids, and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit talktheyhearyou.samhsa.gov. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Or that time you forgot to roll up your windows in the car wash. Fantastic. Yeah, a remote control would have come in handy then. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Life doesn't come with a remote control. So you're on your own with the wasps. You have the power to take control of pre-diabetes. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of 
pasta, or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Mike Adams sitting in for Jesse. He'll be back next week. Joining me now is the president of the American Soybean Association, Josh Gackle from North Dakota. Josh, thanks for joining us. You getting any winter weather in your area? Uh, it's unusual winter weather here in south central North Dakota. Had about... Oh, about two inches of moisture, most of it in the form of ice. So we're we're dealing with a little bit of an ice storm here and uh, trying to keep the power on. But it could have been 15 inches of snow. So the challenges of winter in North Dakota, right? But at least you got That's some moisture. Right. That's right. Yep. Well, Josh, let's look ahead to 2024. I know that uh, your executive committee has been meeting and looking ahead to priorities for the coming year for the soybean industry and for soybean growers. Uh, what are some of those priorities that you've set for the coming year? Well, we're going to the next year focused on the farm bill again. Uh, thankful that we got uh, that farmers got the extension uh, of the existing farm bill, but you know, we're hoping for a full five year reauthorization and we're going to re-engage on that. Uh, already uh, having discussions with committee chairs and committee members on both the House and Senate side to try and get a farm bill done as soon as possible in 2024. Um, so that's, you know, that's priority number one. Uh, you know, after that, we're looking at biofuels issues with uh, renewable diesel and uh, expanding crush capacity and, you know, the profitability there for for farmers for soybean farmers trying to get some of that uh through either rulemaking or other procedures in dc um uh probably next on the list would be crop protection and regulation uh just there's a lot of uh things coming out from epa uh that that could uh really adversely affect the the tools that we have avail available as farmers uh to protect the crop, to grow the crop, uh, so we're working on those issues as well. Yeah, no shortage of challenges, that's for sure. But you mentioned um, in, in the biodiesel area, and we talked earlier in the program with Donnell Rehagen, uh, CEO of Clean Fuels Alliance America, about the great potential of sustainable aviation fuel. Now you have to be excited about this because th this could be a huge market for soybean growers. Oh, for sure, and we're, yeah, really uh really excited about the guidance that came up from Treasury uh, a couple of weeks ago on uh, the tax credit and the availability, availability there for uh, SAF. Um, we've, I think the market has shown and America's farmers have shown that we can produ produce a sustainable and available fuel and, and can do it efficiently and effectively. Uh, so that guidance that came out is very helpful and glad that they recognize that you mentioned the farm bill and certainly it's always a challenge these days to write a farm bill but especially uh, 
the political situation in the country today and in a presidential election cycle now. Um, what are your thoughts on getting that farm bill done and what you most uh, soybean growers most want to see in that farm bill? Well, first of all, I think, uh, you know, what we've heard from the committee chairs on both the House and Senate side is they would like to get something moving early in 24. Uh, so the focus is going to be to keep that momentum going. Um, I, I think uh, the longer that that drags out and gets into more of the election cycle, uh, the more difficult it becomes. So it's it's good to hear that they're that they're willing or wanting to move that through the process early in 24. Um, our pri- priorities are the same. Uh, we we're always focused on uh, crop insurance. Uh, you know, having the revenue there and the right program and other risk management tools when it comes to uh, ARC and PLC programs. Uh, we've we've been looking at uh, changes to the reference prices and, you know, encouraging and advocating for those types of changes as well um, when it comes to just soybeans in specific. Uh, the, the reference price there is well below the uh, cost of production. Uh, so trying to update those prices, uh, uh, Soybeans, ASA also supports a voluntary update to base acres so that what you're growing on your farm actually matches the program. Um, so looking at those changes as well, the difficulty is, you know, that costs money and uh, trying to find the money to do that, uh, that will be the challenge. Yeah, big challenge. And uh, the political atmosphere that we have uh, in Washington, D.C., throughout the country, that makes it even more difficult right now to come to consensus and get something done on these things. It does, but, I, you know, historically, uh, a farm bill uh, is something that has been widely supported. Uh, you know, every time it comes up, for it's, it's just a, the challenge is the calendar. Uh, but when it does come up for a vote, uh, there's there usually is wide support for that. Josh, as you talk with and hear from soybean growers across the country, what are you hearing from them as we go into this new year as far as what they feel good about, what they're most concerned about? What are you hearing? You know, I think it's always, uh, it, it, it comes out, out, you know, the weather and prices. Um, and with prices where they're at right now, uh, while maybe somewhat higher than uh, historical prices, uh, the inputs, uh, the cost, the cost that's there to produce that crop continues to to rise as well. So uh, having any, I, I think what farmers are most concerned about is uh, having some type of risk management in place. Um, should prices fall even further? Should inputs increase even further? Um, I, that's what I hear most from the my friends and neighbors around here. Do you hear optimism or or not from those growers and people you hear from? Well, you know, farmers, I think we're eternal optimists. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, looking into 24, you know, we're sitting here at the, the end of the year, um, heading into the new year. Uh, you know, we had a, in this part of North Dakota, we had a pretty decent harvest um, and a pretty decent growing season in 23. Uh, I think lenders you know, share some of those same concerns. Uh, what do inputs look like in 24? What will the weather be? And all those types of things. Well, Josh, good luck in dealing with the ice. Be careful and have a great 2024. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike.
Josh Gackle, president of the American Soybean Association. That wraps it up for today. I'm Mike Adams sitting in for Jesse Allen. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted card to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870 you'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness.